Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts podcast for July 23rd of 2014. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. And we are back doing the podcast because we finally have some topics to talk about. We tried to do it Sunday. We talked with each other. We just felt like it would have been a a below average podcast with nothing to talk about. Uh, The last few days have provided us some some pretty intriguing storylines. Ryan O'Reilly avoiding arbitration with Colorado. Kyle Dubas, the new assistant general manager of the Maple Leafs. I think that's a, a huge story. Phoenix Coyotes or Arizona Coyotes in a, some legal trouble maybe with the deal they made for their uh, lease agreement for the arena. The mayor wants an investigation into a, a violation of state law, so that arena deal may be um, up in the air. And Thomas Vanek is in a little bit of a gambling ring problem. How severe? Uh, we don't quite yet know. So a lot of topics. Which is good because we were the cupboard was bare on Sunday, so it's um it's a nice change. <laughs> Agreed. I guess um we'll start with something that happened today. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly, uh, they do not go to arbitration, and he goes with a two-year uh, deal that will pay him a cap hit of six million each year. I think it's money very well spent for Colorado. Do yeah. First question off the bat: Now that this has been done, does that mean when his contract in, he's a UFA and they can't go to ARB? Correct. Right. Okay. So that that probably suits. I think that's why O'Reilly. he went two years. Yep. That suits O'Reilly better than Colorado. It, this almost feels like for Col- from Colorado's end, it might end up like the Montreal situation with Subban. They may regret not not giving him. You know, six point five over seven or eight years, I think. But you never know. I think the only difference between O'Reilly and Subban is O'Reilly's been getting paid pretty good the last few years, at least five and a half million. Subban was is woefully underpaid. At least he has yeah, been was, to yeah. this point. Under three million dollars for him, that's a joke. They yeah. they could have paid him six long term or six and a half and been done with it like Eric Carlson and the Senators, except now now they're going to pay nine something. Well, it's their own fault for, you know, trying to go cheap early. I and mean, that's, I, it's funny, you know, people get there and they talk about the salary cap and, and say that it, it sort of simplifies things for general managers. I think it makes things harder. You've got to, you've got to work out what time you want to pay someone before they reach their potential, and you have to pay them a bucket load. Given. Oh, there. You back? Yeah. Yeah, I'm here. Okay, we lost you for a second. Oh, okay. Anyways. That's not good. Um, <laughs> yeah, they they probably could have gone long-term and paid him $7 million a year, the Paul Stasny kind of contract. Maybe that would have worked. Yeah. But, you know, at least they have some control to where there's a time frame of two years to where they can potentially trade him if need be. Um, but if they choose to keep him and aggressively try to resign them, they have an excellent hockey player on their hands. Um, of course. The last two years, he's the only player on, or at least the number one forward on Colorado and Fen close percentage. He's the only one above 50%. Um, That's amazing, yeah. considering how bad they are. Yeah, he's, he's got positive possession. He plays in a shutdown role. He, while doing so, only took one penalty last year. I find that amazing. That means he's always in yeah, position. Right. He's not reaching in. That's that's good yeah. stuff. And it, it he's not one-dimensional in just only being a guy that plays well to keep the puck out of his own. He had 28 goals and 36 assists last year for 64 points. That's really good offense. He can play center or wing. I think he's one of the most underrated players going. Well, we'll see whether the, see whether the contract – um increase in pay screws him around because it can't sometimes but it's only you know what is it he's not making much more than he did no that's right and he's frankly, also got one of the greatest hockey- if he um plays like he did last year it's six mils a bargain yeah and um he's got one of the best hockey smiles going around he's barely got a tooth left in his face <laughs> oh, is that right 
<laughs> he gets there and smiles and you go, all right, he's obviously got some sort of plate in his mouth when he gets off the ice because he's, he's got teeth when he's off the ice. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, that's, the, um, it's a good signing. Colorado, they got some good forwards. They, they take a hit by losing Stasny, though, for nothing, I think. But they don't have many good defensemen to move the puck up to, to the good forwards that they do have, and they didn't address that. So um, even with getting O'Reilly back, I, I look for Colorado to be one of the teams that has a, a large fall from grace next year. Is Eric Johnson still there? Yep, he's their number one guy. Yeah, he's... The fact you the have to ask he if he's a... still there, Andy's their number one guy is probably... Yeah, no, I know. It's, the reason I ask is that... I. I thought he had a really high ceiling and I, I just expected more from him. And maybe that's, maybe that's been some of Colorado's problem is that he hasn't panned out as high as that. I don't think there's anything wrong with him, but he's certainly not a number one. He's probably a, a number two, definitely a good number three. And you sit there with it and go, that's exactly their problem. They've got no one that you'd consider to be a top, top two pairing in that, in that back six. And you go, that might, that might be their issue. You're also asking whether Varlamov can do what he did last year, and that's going to be tough. Yeah, he has to play that way, and they can't regress any further from what they did. And Correct. they lost Parento and um, Stasny and got Briere and Aginla, and I don't think that's an improvement at all. At least, at the very best, they've gone sideways there. Uh, and, and I think that's being pretty... Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And Eric Johnson and Jan Haida is the number one pairing there. So. That's... And they're fine as a second pairing. That, that's the problem. Yeah, but. They, they, miss, they, they miss that top level pairing. And, and that's, that's or even just to have one person to sit as a number one and, and to carry someone else. They don't have that option at the moment. So, you know, if it, they're going to need. To call, is it, what's, the, what's the luck stat? PDO. They need the PDO to be high. It was. And, um, yeah. Which, and, and they which need, means um, it usually comes back. You usually get some form of regression in, in that area, yeah. So you've you got to sit there and, and just – I like the fact that Colorado did well. Um, I, I kind of like the, the way they play. Um, but we'll, we'll see whether they can work the same magic as last year. Um, doubtful, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean, you can't predict the future. We've just got the stats to tell us what might happen in the future. So we'll, we'll see how it works. I like the probability of being right on that. Correct. So. No, no. Yeah. Hey, we did get a question, though, um, which was nice. And the question was on Ryan O'Reilly. And it was by Jay Tarbett, I think. That's how you say it, uh, on Twitter. And it was basically, do you think he gets traded before the start of the year? I think, from what we've just said, we'd both say no. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. I, well, I don't. Well, I don't think he'll be traded. To answer his question, yeah, the only chance I would see any kind of trade would be if they traded for a legit defenseman with him, proven, um, high quality. Then you'd have to look at you'd have to look at cap for cap hit as well, and then that that. Well, pool of players it gets very small if only there was another defenseman in a situation like pk suban that wasn't quite that good that would probably be a, the kind of trade you'd be looking to make somebody that's just a shade uh under that pk suban level yeah but yeah i don't think that guy's out there right now so. Because I, you sit there and look at it, and I look at it from a cap-to-cap hit, and you go, Eric Carlson, you know Carlson's not moving. Um, maybe Keith Yandel um, in Arizona. Yeah, but, but, but you don't want to make that trade if you're Colorado. No, and that's that's sort of what I mean. You get there, and, and you go for some of these trade proposals when you play them out in your head, and you've got to try to look at it from both ends of the stick. What works for one team, what works for the other, and it gets really, really hard. That's why when you see in-season trades um, and, and trade deadline deals, I, I find it amazing that they actually get done some of these times. Yeah. 
So I guess in short, I expect him to be on Colorado opening night. Yep. Okay. Done with um, Colorado? We are. Do you want to mention the Arizona thing? Yeah. Basically, Arizona Coyotes, Glendale, the uh, city that they have the arena in, there has the mayor wants an investigation for a violation of state law that happened during the negotiations. There was, from what I gather, a closed door session that probably shouldn't have been a closed door session. And immediately there, after having that session, the, the arena deal kind of fell into place rather quickly. So yeah. um, <laughs> the the mayor was one of the uh, people that voted against uh, whatever deal they struck. So now he, he may have found a, a, lit, a legit violation, but at least a loophole to start the conversation back up again. He, and we, we discussed this before we started. He wants them out, doesn't he? He's, he's had enough of, of what the team's doing to Phoenix. Well, they're not in Phoenix, and that's the whole problem. That's why I don't yeah. think that they've been successful with their attendance. Glendale's kind of off the beating path. I think it's like a 40-minute drive. Um, if we got okay. any listeners in Arizona, feel free to correct me on that. But um, it's not downtown Phoenix. It, it, it's out a, a little bit, so it's inconvenient for people to drive out there. And yep. you're already in a non-traditional market. So if... Um, if it's any bit inconvenient and you're trying to sell people that maybe don't already love the sport, it's going to be an uphill battle. So I think where they built their arena is kind of their biggest problem. I'd be curious to see if they'd be doing any better um, as an overall franchise, not on the ice, if, if they were in downtown Phoenix. Where, where, do, where do the Phoenix Suns play out of? I think they do play out of downtown. Why? Uh, and that's the thing that I don't, I don't understand. I don't get why they haven't gone with them. I don't get why yeah, the Coyotes haven't uh, gone. Yeah, I just looked it up. Suns play in uh, U.S. Airways Center, and that's in Phoenix. That's just that's baffling. I just I don't understand. And, and you look at it this way. Everything seems to be against this team staying. I don't understand why the NHL is so stubborn in keeping them there. It's not like the, the team's making money hand over fist and there's a point to keeping it there. It's not a traditional hockey market. I don't I don't understand why they're so they're so big on getting it done. Ego at this point is the only thing I can think of. Gary Bettman just doesn't want one of his southern markets to fail and i've always been in his corner on the southern expansion most of it's been terrific um yeah i do think the coyotes are one of uh one of the few ones that just it's not working at least in my opinion and i never like to kind of root for teams to move because the people that do enjoy them there it would suck for them but yeah i mean it's been a while it's been since 1996 hasn't really grown all that much so there there's some markets out there that would really love having a team so yeah it's a situation to watch yeah they had to pull out the, all the stops to, to keep it there this time. And if this blows up in their face, I'm just not really sure what happens then. I, I can't see the owners keeping this going for much longer, being happy to, to have the NHL paying for them to stay there. So we'll see. All right. Moving on. Kind of a local story for me. Thomas Vanek is connected to federal gambling investigation. And so far, he's not charged with anything. He's not a suspect. They just had him in to uh, cooperate with the investigation, whether that means he's potentially a witness or I have no idea kind of uh, the technicalities of it because 
everybody involved in it from Vanix agent to the Minnesota wild. They, they just have no comment for the most part. Well, the Montreal fans should be commenting. <laughs> I suppose, but I'm sorry. I couldn't help it. <laughs> no, I know it's, it's, it's a low hanging fruit. It is. But, um, Apparently, the reason for this gambling investigation is because uh, some owners of a restaurant, uh, they were booked on multiple counts of gambling and money laundering, and the restaurant just happens to be five minutes from my house here. <laughs> <laughs> so, Are you involved? No. Do I have to be concerned? Nope. Um, but yeah, so Thomas Vanek was actually here in Rochester for, for court on this matter. So we'll Are there see people out there asking for autographs. Oh, I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I really don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we'll see what happens. I, I, I don't believe for a second he was throwing games. I don't think it's anything like that. So um, you never want to see athletes and gambling ring associated, but uh, I would be very surprised if this was some kind of, Pete Rose, lifetime band, oh, yeah. uh, throwing game scandal. I just, I don't buy that. So, well, we'll wait and see. You never know. Nope. And it's a court thing, so it's probably not going to sort itself out quick. I wonder if that's going to. It's funny. Like, I wonder if that's going to affect him in regards to if he has to go to court during the season. Whether he's going to miss games because they're not going to give it. They're not going to give a toss whether he's playing or not. They're just going to call him in when they need him, aren't they? I suppose they could do that. I think they'd usually try to work around those things if possible. And considering he's not probably one of the main pieces of this, they could probably accommodate yeah, I him. So. So. Yep. Well. I think we'll move on to what I think is one of uh, the most fascinating turn of events for the summer so far since the initial free agency signing. Um, the Maple Leafs crawled from out under that rock they've been hiding under for years and have decided to come on over join to the dark the side. <laughs> join, join the 21st century. They uh, hired uh, 28-year-old Kyle Dubas, uh, general manager of the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds, and he's an analytics guy. And the Leafs actually fired two veteran assistant general managers who you could consider old school, and they fired them and brought in new um, up-and-coming, obviously, he's only 28. I think a bright hockey mind and, and something that he'll give them a, at least a perception and perspective that they haven't been willing to listen to. So if nothing else, different voice, something they haven't had, it can only be a positive. I hear that he's 28 and I think in my hockey stuff, geez, I've underachieved. I'm 35. This guy's 28 and he's assistant GM. It's like, holy crap. Um, but you're, you're exactly right. He's, it's something that Leafs have needed for quite a long time. Um, just in regards to that culture and attitude change. Um, I think it's a great thing, like you said yourself. It, it'll be good to see how much of his information they take on board. And you're not going to know until you start seeing changes on the roster, if there are any changes on the roster, I suppose. So, uh, you know, uh, if there are guys. He made a signing, or not him, but the Leafs made a signing hours after his press conference. They got David Booth. Oh, Booth. For, uh, That's right. I mean, right away. That kind of signing, um, low risk, medium to high reward, very cheap for an established, at times very high caliber NHL player. But, it, you know, it's been a little bit of time since he's been that guy. But he's been good. He's been a positive possession guy. He'll get you 30 to 40 points. He, he certainly didn't hurt Vancouver. People wanted that 30-goal season from him still, and he's probably not that guy anymore, but he's not going to hurt you. And he comes cheap, comes motivated on a one-year deal. That's 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 good stuff. There you go. So influence straight away, which is nice to see. At least it means that he's in there and they haven't just made him a token, uh, we'll make it look like we're doing something. 
You know what I mean? He's come in and, as you said, it looks like he's made an impact straight away with decision-making, which is forward-thinking from Shanahan. Yeah, this is this might be his hallmark move of just signifying change if, if we look back and they actually turn the corner uh, with their on-ice product. Yep, and it's, it'll be good. I like the fact that I, I'd like the Leafs to be playoffs in the playoffs for a few years in a row it'd just be just be good i think and it'd be good for hockey in general just due to the extra income it'd be another good team to watch i like watching good hockey so if the bad teams start to figure it out that's good but hiring kyle dubas is kind of uh watch your back dave nonis hiring because (laughs) uh, now shanahan i believe he fired all the assistant coaches and left Carlisle. Now he's fired all the assistant GMs and left Dave Nonis. Um, if you're those two guys, you got to think you're on thin ice at this point. But it's usually what uh, a person that comes in that's the head of an organization does. Assesses what these people bring. Do they think the same way as I do? Do they want things to happen the same way as I do? They don't, out they go. So if Car- if Carlisle starts off poorly, I don't think he lasts the season, to be honest. And I don't think it'll be Nonis's decision either. I just I think, you know. I don't know why they extended him. Oh, they've got money to throw around, they don't care. No, but you, I don't know, it should be obvious that he's not the guy for the job. Well, you and I agree on that, but you know. It's just the way it's just the way things seem to go in, in Toronto. They're just they're just slower in regards to transitioning across, you know. It just it makes you wonder if if they make this kind of hire two years ago, um, kind of at the same time as when they lost to Boston in that great seven game series. Yeah, and. Where's Grabowski and MacArthur playing now? My my bet would be Toronto. Yeah, the the other thing about that, you go well, that's two that's two seasons they've lost of these players, so they're two they're two years older. They're two years closer to either leaving the club or two years closer to getting past their peak and getting into that decline cycle in in their career. So that's the tough thing with this sort of stuff you can get there and go as a fan oh look we'll just we'll wipe that year that's fine it doesn't doesn't matter but everyone gets a year older everyone's careers are are only a certain length so you've got to be careful in regards to how many throwaway seasons you can have like phil kessel can only be good for so long and he's great exactly you don't want to waste that no so it's it's tough in that regard yeah It'll be interesting to see if they stop playing hardball with Jake Gardner, Nazem Kadri, uh, Morgan Riley when when he's up for contracts, and see if they can stay away from the the Dave Clarkson type of deals, Tyler Bozak kind of deals. Um, will be interesting to see we'll what they do with Reimer. We'll see the value in the next 12 to 18 months in regards to contract extensions, trades, negotiations, all that sort of stuff. That'll be where we'll see. Um, what's the guy's name again? I can't pronounce it. Kyle Dubas? Dubas, that's it. We'll see, his, we'll see his value then. Like you said, good introduction, good start, but it'll be the results in regards to the length of contracts and the um, total money spent and cap hits in regards to to his real value to the Leafs. I bet he's their GM in less than two years. Yep. I, I, I can't see a reason as to why that won't be the case. I mean, if they start to take how he looks at it and make some moves that pan out, yeah. And I like the chances of that happening than not. So. You'd expect a change in the coach as well, wouldn't you? What do you what do you think will happen first? Carlisle or Nonus out? Um boy, that's a good one. I, I do think if they go into a tailspin that they do both at the same time. Yep, and then who do you replace? This is where it gets difficult. 
who do they who do you replace the coach Carlisle the coach yeah it doesn't matter at that point anybody's better well suppose he's on he's on the far end of the spectrum on uh he's not very progressive with how he views the game so now the guy now this is the thing the guy that replaced him in Anaheim I would suggest that he's in the same boat as mm-hmm. Carlisle in regards to I think he's got a very old school style of the way he looks at the game but he's worked magic with that Anaheim roster no he's so, he's not quite the same he values the puck and that kind of stuff don't get me wrong he likes the physical play out of his players but he does have players that can do that for him, though, and two of them are his stars, so it does help. Yeah, but the Leafs had players that were productive NHL players, and Carlisle got there and ruined them. And Grabowski and MacArthur, Kuhlman, are three good and not great. They're good NHL players that were, when Carlisle showed up, turned into below average. And then now elsewhere. And MacArthur's been awesome in Ottawa. Grabowski's was, I thought he was good in Washington. Not great, but good. And um, who's the other one? Kuhlman. Kuhlman. You know, he played out the string there, and I think him, uh, actually him and Grabowski, I think they'll do well in New York, and I think the Islanders will be a playoff team, and they'll be a big part of that. Yep. It sounds it sounds about right. And I it'll be interesting to see what the Islanders do this year on the ice. And I've said in previous podcasts, um, goaltending, Halak Johnson, way better than Nabakov. Um, uh, don't even I want to say Montoya, but he was he was out in Winnipeg, I thought. Yeah. Look, either way, that that Islanders roster's improved substantially, and. Um, those in the Metropolitan Division need to be well aware of the Islanders this year, I think. Focoposo plays like he did last year, and Tavares is back, and then you got Grabowski, Kuhlman, Grabner, and you still got Franz Nielsen. Uh, there's, there's a... Their back six isn't terrible either. Mm, it's got room for improvement. Of course it does, but it's not. It, it's not terrible it's not like a big gaping black hole so you know they've got some players that can get the puck to their to their forwards and that's where their strength is so as long as they can get the puck out of their zone to the people that can create um damage i think they're going to be okay good it'll be interesting they're much better they're not going to be a pushover they will not be a lottery team the buffalo sabers will not be getting um a top five first round pick because of the Vanek trade um, like was originally no, thought a few a months thing. ago so Gar Snow doesn't always get Although, it right but I'll give him credit no, when he, but when he they does. are they are one injury away from being awfully thin and there are a lot of teams in the league that are like that so you, you pray for the Islanders sake that they don't get that bad luck again this year yeah you could say that I mean if Lundqvist goes down, where are the Rangers? That, that's what I mean. There are a lot of teams that they lose one key component to their team and their season can go south very quickly. It's it's how tight it is with that salary cap. Yes. I know the one thing I was... One of our topics that we were going to have on Sunday that we didn't do our podcast that night, but just how many one-year... Uh, show me contracts are being thrown out there lately by, by think, veteran players that are, you know, okay players. Do you think that's going to keep occurring, or do you think this year's just a, an anomaly because we've obviously we've gone lockout, team players deals have ended now, um, and they're getting there going. Well, the salary cap's going to go up again. I might as well see if I can get you know, a three-year deal next time around at a slightly better clip? Or whether teams are just gun-shy now? A little bit of everything, I think you just said. But it'll be interesting. I think there'll always be at least a few a year where we'll see um, 
guys that had an okay year on a bad team and their values down because they were surrounded by a bad team that just want to prove and puff themselves up one year playing on a good team and then they can get that multi-year cashing in deal where and they won't care where they play because they'll take the they'll take the deal yeah at that point and and a good example of that is uh what mason raymond did last year is he signed that one year one million dollar deal for toronto uh played great and got a three-year deal worth about three million a year in calgary so that is kind of template for what i think a lot of these guys want to do is what mason raymond did last year that makes any sense it does it makes perfect sense when you you think about what players want to do and and what players want to earn i mean uh lee stepniak one year nine hundred thousand dollars for the rangers uh, i thought he I thought he played well with Pittsburgh. I, I think he played exactly, you know, the way you'd think what he would expect. play. Nothing uh, great. Nothing that kills you. Eat some minutes up without being a liability. And he does have the potential to get hot with his goal scoring because he does shoot the puck well. So sometimes you get the benefit of a hot streak from him offense-wise. So, um, you know, this may be a situation where maybe the Penguins did offer him a similar deal. We don't know. And maybe he didn't want to go back there because he knew he'd be a third-liner, limited power play time. Goes to the Rangers. They had great depth. They lost some of that depth. Maybe he sees a better opportunity in New York to maybe get some of more of those offensive kind of minutes. Yeah, well, as you explained a couple of minutes ago, that makes perfect sense. It, it, it's funny how uh, when players decide not to return to, to your team, fans get a little bit, well, why did you do that? But I think your explanation right there sums that up really well. He probably wanted to look at an opportunity where he'll get to play more and in, in more positive aspects for him to statistically do well and, and then be able to get more in free agency. Makes perfect sense, and it's it's kind of tough to uh, to know if that happened, if there was a deal offered, if there wasn't. We're not privy to that um, information. So, and and there's a another one of those one year kind of value deals. Even though he's making four million dollars, but Christian Erhoff. This is a classic show-me deal with a guy that already had leverage because he's very good. Um, saying, okay, I'm still going to take a little bit of money here, but I'm going to do it on a really good team that has a chance to, to make it through their conference, and that's the Penguins. And if he plays great, you know, that's he's he's got great leverage. But um, I did... Read Elliot Friedman's 30, 30 Thoughts the other day, and that's the second time in a few weeks that he's mentioned that Erhoff and the Penguins getting an extension done around New Year's, January 1st being the first day they're allowed to uh, negotiate an extension. You've, you've mentioned that a couple of times in your blogs and stuff like that. You're keen for that to happen. You'd really like that to happen, you can tell. Yeah, he's underrated. The, the time in Buffalo really um, made a lot of people forget how good he can be. And I think playing with high-end offensive forwards, he's going to be great at facilitating the puck up to them. And he's also going to be great taking bombs from the point when they give him open looks. Because in Buffalo, the poor guy never had a shooting lane because he was the only competent guy on the ice most times. Their forwards I th- were I good. I think that's... That's the one thing you're. That's the thing you're keenest to see is how he's utilised on the power play. Um, you want to see that bomb go off, and you want to see how the team plays with someone that can actually get the puck on net. Man, he's he's hammer time when he when he gets a hold of one. He he's got a bomb. But Latang's hammer time as well. They just never go near the net. Someone was showing me stats today that. 
he does get him on net more than you would think. Um, really? Yeah. Jeez, I tell you what, that's that's a perception thing, then, isn't it? That you, we all sort of get on the tang for missing the net. Okay, fair enough. And he also says, and I also, what was the other comment that was made? That he shoots often too, on the power play, more frequently than a lot of uh, other offensive-minded defensemen, and. I'm not going to debate against those numbers. They are what they are. It's just I watch him on the power play, and I've never liked him as a power play player. He always looks tentative with his decision-making. Now, maybe he gets the shots through and on net, but I think a lot of times he's he's up at the, the point quarterbacking this power play with a lot of indecision. And I've always said that, and I, I feel strongly about that. Geez, that goes against the way you've been writing a bit lately in regards to the stats say one thing and you feel like it, you should go the other way with the feeling. I agree. Like You, you hear those numbers that you, you just flew out then and I'd go, no way. That can't be right. So you watch the games as well as use the stats and you, know, you and I would be leaning away from what the stats are saying at this point in regards to take him off the power play, even though he's doing the things that you'd want him to do. And that point you made about his indecisions, that's probably the thing that that shines the most. It's like he doesn't know when to shoot and when to pass, and you can't get that in the stats. You know, there are times where he shoots and he just shoots it straight at the goalie. He he got a lot no, of shots with no screen circles. That's that's my point. He's at he's at the top of the top of the circles, and he shoots and shoots it right into the crest because the goalie can see the see the puck, and you just go that's probably where you don't want him to shoot because there's no real opportunity when the goalie's outside his crease to, to blow the puck by him. That's when you need the tank to do something different. And that's probably the indecision stuff that you're talking about as well. But this is a really good example of, yes, I'm not debating against those stats. Yes, he's shooting a lot, but here's where <laughs> the people that don't like to say it, watch the game. Well, okay. We, we do watch the game, so the reason maybe his shots are totals are high and the on-net totals are high is because some of the shots he takes are low-percentage shots that are technically on-net when he really should be working towards opening up another passing lane. Paul Martin doesn't have a lot of shots on goal on the power play. It's because he distributes the puck so damn well. The other people are doing the shooting. And they're probably the ones you want to be shooting more than Martin anyway. Yeah, but... And, Not that Martin's shot's bad. It's just you get there, you've got Crosby, you had Neil, you had Malkin. You go, well, you're more than happy to have those three guys shooting the puck before Martin. But even Latang, he does have a good shot. He should still be able to distribute like that. Because um, he does have the skill set. It's certainly... Um, physically, he, it's well within his capabilities of doing it. I have no doubt about that's why, that. That's why he frustrates fans so much. That's why he's such a polarizing player. Everything you just said then. The skill set's there, and he, there are times where he shows he can make the right decision. And you go, oh, he's got it. He's worked it out. Three or four games in a row, he makes the right decision. Then for a 10-game stretch, it's like his brain's gone all crazy, and he, he can't make a decision. He, he's second-guessing himself. It's almost like he watches too much tape, he overanalyzes what he does, and then he's not sure what he wants to do when he gets on the ice. Because, you know, apparently he watches a lot of tape. It's like it's almost like he's forgotten how to play the game naturally sometimes and goes, oh, I probably shouldn't give it there. And he probably should have. It's like he's forgotten to play the game with fun. I can't wait to watch him play this year. I think the It'll, yeah. Mike Johnston coming in, um, big differences in how him and Dan Bilesma view the game. Um, Bilesma, get the puck north, 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 stretch pass, stretch pass, stretch pass. Johnston, you don't always have to go north. Keep the puck, find the proper lane, 10-foot passes in unison up the ice. Much different. And I think when you're asking Chris Letang to buy time with the puck by himself and then make a long stretch pass that isn't open so he holds it longer and then he tries to hit a different pass and the four-checker reads it well, um, as opposed to now, he's going to have options on both sides of him 10 feet away, plus the ability to use his legs to get out of the zone. I, I just think it's going to be a 100 times better setup for players like him. 
the the thing that I found really interesting when Bilesma took over, the first couple of years that the that he coached, and I don't know whether this was, and this is including the Stanley Cup year, so this may have been Michelle Terrian's system more so than Bilesma's. When they were trying to come out of the zone, the Penguins would always create a little triangle on the on the half wall, and they'd use those short ten foot passes to get a clear lane out of the zone. And you're right, at some point through that transitional period where Bilesman took over the team entirely, that left. It was. It was literally just have the, the forwards fly out of the zone and get the puck out as quickly as possible. So the, the team, the core players on this team have certainly played with the, the short passes, the, you know, the short 10-foot passes before, and it obviously has succeeded. So it'll be interesting to see if they enjoy going back to that different style of transitional game, trying to get out of their zone. Um, I, I, when you've got high-skilled players on, on your team, lots of passes can def- will definitely work. So it'll be the bottom six in regards to how they handle those short passes and their ability to think quick, um, whether they can do it as well. So it, it's going to be fun as a Penguins fan to see the, the contrasting styles from one coach to the other this year. I think it'll be fun. Be fun to watch. Anything doesn't take as much to tra- doesn't take as much to transition into a penguins discussion, does it? <laughs> no, not really. Whoops. Uh, well, speaking of which, you're about to say uh, anything else. Uh, what about the Brandon Sutter situation in Pittsburgh? Seeing as we're on top of them at the moment, is there a reason why this is taking so long, or are they just going to wait for arbitration? They can't wait for arbitration. He didn't file for it. Oh, that's right. So what's he asking for that the Penguins are saying? Honestly, I don't I don't know. There has not been much released on the Brandon Sutter front as far as contract talk. There's one outlet that has been thrown out numbers, like a one-year $2.75 million deal that was denied. Uh two-year, $3 million piece for each season, and then a four-year, $3.75 million contract. And I don't know the validity of the report. I'm just throwing these numbers out there. But according to the report, um, they were all denied by or rejected by Sutter. So is that true? I don't know. But that's literally the only information that I've heard about it. So... For a team that can be rather loose-lipped at times, they've done a very good job of keeping this all in-house in regards to information coming out. Yeah, and and the other thing, without an arbitration hearing, there's really nothing imminent that needs to be done. True. It's a really good point. We're in July. You get to September, maybe it's a problem, but we're a month and a half away. Because he can't report to camp until he's signed, can he? He could. He could. I wouldn't be in his best interest to show up without a contract. No, no, I wasn't Nor sure. Nor his agent would let him. A, yeah, well, this, I mean, you can get injured at camp. But it was just one of those things where I wasn't sure whether um, he, he wasn't allowed to due to the CBA or something like that where he, he couldn't, couldn't turn up. That's all. That's why I asked. I mean, no idea. A timeline on what'll get done, but I know my feelings on what I kind of want to happen. I I want them to trade him. Sign and trade? Maybe not. Sign. Well, I guess he could, but um, for what he probably wants, I just don't see the. Um, I don't know why you would pay the premium to upgrade on Gotch. So if you if you trade him away, what are you wanting back in return? Are you wanting draft picks or are you wanting a player that can play now? And if you're going to do that, wait, wait, are you wait. trying to are you trying to find Sutter in a package to try and get someone to fill a top six role? And then and then asking that, what's your realistic result? As opposed to what you want, what do you think would realistically happen if you were going to trade Sutter? Good question. Um, I would yeah, package no him. About. 
personally. I wouldn't just use with the with the expectation of what to come back. I would try and dangle Sutter and Paul Martin to San Jose for Marlowe just to see what they would say on a counter offer. And then maybe adjust it from there. Yeah, that's just a baseline to start with. That's that's not going to be what yeah. that deal is. But I think there's potentially maybe something to build off of there. Who knows? Maybe the Sharks don't want to trade Marlowe. I would commend them on that. That would be the right move. But if they're willing to listen to offers, they, you know, with Sutter, I don't tend to like his underlying numbers, but not every NHL team looks at those yet. And he had a good playoff. True. So <laughs> I'm sure there's, I don't know if Doug Wilson's the GM to, you know, kind of be duped by the playoff performance over the larger sample size. But Paul Martin's certainly awesome. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But Did they, like it's only get, one year. You, you, you've discussed this before as well, though. They're losing Brent Burns to the back end anyway. So you could get there and go, they're picking up another top six forward if they put Martin in the back end. They get to put Burns back into that, that front six if they want. Or they could have a really damn good defense with Vlasic, Burns, and Martin. True, true. It just feels like you take Marlow out of that top six and there's a big gaping hole. That's all. And that would be one of the things that I'd shy away from if I was Doug Wilson. That's all. But that's just, uh, you know, kind of a oh, that's baseline one you threw out. example yeah. to, to go on. Yep, that's one you just threw out. Makes perfect sense. I would have loved so that's to the have thing. done the Vander Kane deal. But I thought I always thought that James Neal was the best piece to get that done, and I don't think the Jets even wanted James Neal, so I, there was just nothing to be had there. That, that's the the funny thing about that. You get there and go, Kane's got issues off the ice. Does he? But he's great. He's great. On, look, you know what I mean. This is the perception, right? Issues off the ice, brilliant on the ice. Neal seems to be no issues off the ice, but issues on the ice. So if you're in the jet situation you'd stick with what you've got you'd stay with the status quo and i mean neil with issues on the ice you know hothead seems to disappear when you want him to to step up you know those sorts of things so he hasn't got massive issues it's just that he has issues things off the ice. i think his issues are legitimate he was not well liked in the locker room there's certain stories i've i've heard from local pittsburghers that i'm not going to share but they don't um put him in a great light kind of nightlife style. Um, Fair enough. Out and about. Didn't know about this. Um, yeah, just, I guess, not a good person. So I think that was the driving force behind the trade, even more so than the um, undisciplined penalties oh. and um, cold Oaky streets. Um, well, Ron Wilson with a little bit of gossip. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's been said by people that I... Don't believe we make it up. So. Yep. And I'm not going to give details on any of it, so it doesn't matter. No, no, no. Leave it that way. That's fine. <laughs> um. Well, do you want to do you want to talk about the Red Wings and where they're sitting and what the hell they're going to be able to do? Yeah, because we had. Um... Yeah, that's one of our questions we got correct. We had three. Yes. <laughs> and we've covered two of oh, them. Oh, and off. we should I should give credit to uh, at hockey dumb. He was the uh, he's why we talked about Sutter there. Anything to read into the delay in re-signing Sutter or is this just the way of non-arbitration RFAs? Um, I think we kind of answer that. There's just nothing there's no extrinsic force pressuring them into doing anything right now. So yeah, we answered that good. So, Red Wings from at Coach Brew. I know Coach Brew. He's a big Red Wings fan. Well, probably explains the question then. What the heck are the Wings going to do? Um, well, I think they'll have a little bit better fortunes on the health front this year. Datsuk, Zetterberg, and um, 
Stephen Weiss was their kind of big signing last year. They were all injured for a large period of time. And Weiss didn't play well when he was in the lineup, but, you know, you got to think injuries didn't help his cause. And when you're talking Dadzuk Zetterberg, that's it's tough to fight through that. And they did, and they did make the playoffs. So if those guys can stay healthy, um, they could probably start cooking with fire. If they if they play 70-plus games, those two, Datsuk and Sederberg, and Jimmy Howard is good to, you know, or average to above average, they make the playoffs. Simple as that. Those two guys can carry them. As long as Jimmy Howard doesn't destroy them, Datsuk and, and Zetterberg will, will, will carry that team into the playoffs. They've got the advantage of playing in the East now. It's weaker conference than the West. Um, they're... They'll make it. Whether they where they make it into the playoffs, they might go in as the eighth seed, but I still think they make it. And then it's going to come down to a lot of their uh, kind of secondary scoring, higher end secondary scoring, like Gustav Nyquist and Thomas Tatar. Um, but I I have some concerns about Nyquist going into next year. He scored twenty eight goals in fifty seven games. It's really awesome. His shooting percentage was also 18.3%. You're looking for some regression, aren't you? Yeah, and I'm not saying it's going to be a lot, but he's not going to be scoring a goal every other game next year. At least I don't think. So You never know. No, you don't, but I would wager that it will not go down that way. But... Probably still a 20 to 25 goal guy, which is very good. I'm reckoning he may not score as many goals as he did last year in 58 games if he were to have a full season this year. That's just funny how that can work. But he could also be this diamond in the rough and be awesome. So (laughs) it'd be interesting. They, They happen. Yeah, they're two superstars. That's exactly how it happened. Yeah, well, how far down in the draft were those two? I don't know, like the seventh round, some nonsense like that. Yeah, it shows you. It, it does show you how much of a crapshoot the draft can be when you see stuff like that happen. Um, you know, you had a you had a stat earlier in our in our podcast saying players outside the top twenty don't make you know only play X amount of games in the NHL. So anything beyond the the top twenty, it really is a flip of the coin. Yeah. And it, it is. and But that's why you want more draft picks. That's why you want to collect them, because it's like a lottery. The more balls you got in in the machine, yep. the better the chance, chance you, got. you got. Yes, those picks aren't guaranteed, but if you start collecting them like the Buffalo Sabres, they're going to get some good players. It's just that is going to happen. They're not going to blow all of those picks. No, that's right. Even if you try to blow them, you can't. Something's going to come out of there, needle in a haystack style. So, I guess the other thing with Detroit is much like Colorado, they were in high demand for a puck-moving defenseman, and they came up, they came up empty. Uh, they talked with Dan Boyle. They talked with Matt Niskanen. They didn't get any of it. Um, Probably avoided a bad contract with Niskanen, but short-term it certainly would have helped them. And it's probably why you hear uh, some trade rumors involving Mike Green of the Capitals and the Detroit Red Wings, just because they're that desperate for some puck skill on the back end. Why are they struggling to get something for the backhanded. You know, Detroit used to be the destination to be at. What do you think's changed? I mean, they've got a new arena coming. Uh, it's, just, it's just a little baffling, that's all. Well, you you lose Nick Lidstrom. You're not replacing that. You lose Brian Rafalski to an early retirement. He just decided to stop playing. I don't think anybody really yes. saw that coming. That's another huge loss, and you don't get assets in return to replenish that. So it makes things tough. Cronwell's really good. But Kyle Quincy's mediocre. Um, Brendan Smith's, he's, 
has potential. I don't think he's quite come on as strong as fast as they would have wanted to, but I don't think the door's closed on him quite yet. But they do have a guy like Thomas Tatar, Thomas Yurko, maybe even Nyquist they could dangle for Mike Green. Some of that secondary scoring type. Mike Green can't stay on the ice. No, you're right. He's He's been hurt a lot. Now, my thing with that is a lot of the injuries he has are like groin and adductor injuries, which would suggest that he comes into a season not ready to play, physically not ready to play. It's, it's like he starts his, his preparation for the year too late and he's sort of playing catch-up for the rest of the year and his body just falls apart on him. I mean, he could just be unfortunate and he's just going to be, you know cursed with injuries for the rest of his career. Some players are just like that. But, you know, adductors and groins, they're so important to a hockey player. It's like if he starts falling apart there, he's never going to get on the ice and fulfill the potential that looked like he could be, you know, three seasons ago, four seasons ago, which would suck because you like to see good players on the ice. Yeah. I, I don't know. I can't, I can't get into the hows and whys if he gets hurt. I just know saying, uh, you know, I don't know how hard he trains in the off season. That's that's not something that we're made available to. We're not we're not privy to that information. Nope. Have we got anything else we want to cover off hockey wise? No, I don't. No, I think I'm. I think I'm good as well. I was going to go over some stuff in regards to expectations of junior players being able to physically change themselves between getting drafted and getting into the NHL in their first year and just being able to suddenly put on, you know, 10 to 20 pounds like that. But it's not that easy, but we might save that for another podcast, I think. Yes, this has gone on for basically about an hour. We'll, so. we'll save it for a week. We, we're desperate. <laughs> yes, there were topics. It's good. So, cool. All right. Basically, we are very appreciative to the people that subscribe to iTunes or RSS feeds or find us on our website at hockeyhurts.com. Um, it would be much appreciated if you are an iTunes user, if you took a free moment to give us a rating. That'll help... Um, bump our podcast up, make it more visible, get more listenership, which should help with our question section um, so that we can have a larger kind of mailbag answering session every week. I think that would be interesting. So the more people that listen, the more we can do things like that. Um, You can find our website, HockeyHurts.com. The Twitter handle for that is at Hockey underscore Hurts. I'm Ryan Wilson. You can find me at Gunner Stahl on Twitter. You can read my Penguins-related articles at HockeyBuzz.com. And I'll be doing some more statistical-based articles over at HockeyPerspectus.com. So that's where you can find me. You can find me at Walshy. 66 um i've got the hockey hurts uh, com stuff for the fitness and the injuries stuff that, that we cover off and the suspension gear once the season gets started um i've also got my website coachcw.com where there's a, an online training product if you're looking to get some quality periodization training and all those sorts of things so have a look on there if you like um other than that i, I think we're good gunner I'm just going to plug one more thing. Oh, okay. Um, The Hockey Prospectus Annual book will be coming out. should be in print around September 10th, basically. Um, It's a yearly book. It's wonderful. We do, I say we because I'll be writing a few of the teams in the book this year, so I'm very, very proud to say that. And um, basically gives a rundown of every single NHL player from an advanced statistics um, perspective for every team, plus there's essays on every team. And I just think it's a, it's a good book. It's coming out in 
mid-September. We'll, I'll probably talk a little bit more about it in the future, but I just kind of want to put it in everybody's subconscious for now. So, Smart move. Yes. All right. I'm done. All right. Thanks, guys. See you.